It's me. I'm good. How are you? It's me too. Yay. Trying something a little new today on the recording side. Listeners, pro- I don't know if they'll be able to tell, but they might. They might. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe, maybe the sound quality will be a notch up. You is, know, that is, would be great if it was. Is that what they say? A notch up or a step up? Step up. Step up, notch up, whatever. You guys. I think a notch is for a belt and. That we say some weird things sometimes. <laughs> we go on on some odd tangents. Yeah, because you don't know your idioms. <laughs> exactly. Which it bodes really, really uh, bodes. Yeah, I'm going to stop talking. What do you have for me oh today? <laughs> we have, um, you know, I. I saw, I heard a quote from last podcast on the left recently Uh um, that just fit and I wanted to start the episode with it because it was, it was right. Uh Um, So this was from Ben. Anyone who doesn't listen to last podcast on the left probably doesn't know what I'm talking about, but the quote still fits. Um, And during an episode, he said, ah, yes, another very sad story. It's a true crime podcast. (laughs) So that'll happen. (laughs) Very true. Today, I have for you um, the story of the murder of Rachel Barber. Okay. I think I've heard of this name before. I think it's just one of those names that sounds familiar. I Um, guess. Like Amy Smith. We've talked about this a couple of times. Um, This did come into current events recently, so this may have popped up on TikTok, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we all know how... um how committed I am to TikTok. So <laughs> that's probably exactly where I heard it. Your screen time report is yeah. shameful. <laughs> okay. So um, I'll let you know at the end of the episode how this came up in current social media because it came up for a really weird reason. Um, okay. But we'll get to that at the end of the episode. All right. Hit me with it. So this story takes place in Victoria, Australia. And um, Rachel's parents were Elizabeth and Michael. Okay. And she had two younger sisters, Heather and Ashley Rose. Oh, those are cute names. Ashley I Rose. Like, Ashley Rose is hyphenated and it's the fancy Ashley. So oh. Um, L-E-I-G-H. Oh, that is fancy. I wonder if they called her Ashley Rose all the time or just Ashley. You know, it's hyphenated. And every time I saw her name, it was Ashley Rose. Oh, that's cute. I like it. Um, So the Barbers were friends with their neighbors who were the Robertsons. And they actually met the Robertsons when they moved into this particular neighborhood around 1992 or 93. And the two families had a very similar um, family makeup. Okay. So the Barbers had their three daughters and the Robertsons also had three daughters. Oh, that's nice. I love when stuff like that happens. Like you just move into a neighborhood and then like. There you go. Instant friends. Yeah. Yep. So they had Chrissy, who I believe was the oldest. I don't know how old she was. Um, and then there was Caroline, who was about four years older than Rachel. Uh-huh. And there was Kathy, who was about the same age as Ashley Rose. I don't have ages for everyone. I really only have ages for Rachel and Caroline. Okay. Um, because bulk of my information came from court transcripts because everybody knows that I'm a dork and I love 
court transcripts. I know um, you do. <laughs> but because of that, specifics of the rest of the family aren't really detailed. It's okay. more about the two people most involved, which, spoiler, is Caroline and Rachel. Yeah. So because of the... It, because of that, I don't really know a ton about the families. I do know that um, Rachel and Caroline kind of became close, mm-hmm. and Kathy became really close with Ashley Rose. Okay. Caroline and Rachel became close because between 1996 and 1997, Caroline was actually the barber's trusted babysitter. So she ended up oh. spending a lot of time with Rachel. Oh, that's nice. So then she babysat all of them. I think she babysat all of them, but something about, and it wasn't ever explicitly stated, but something about the uh, documents made it seem like Rachel was the primary person Caroline ended up spending time with. Okay. I think it was all the girls, but for some reason it seemed like really Rachel. And they were three years apart? Four. Four. Okay. That's interesting. Maybe they just had a lot in common or whatever. Or maybe because she was older, Caroline spent more time one-on-one helping her with homework. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Okay. So in 1997, Caroline said that she had a photography project that she needed to complete for a school project. And Mm -hmm. so she arranged for Rachel to be her subject. And um, so, yeah, uh, she arranged to take photos of Rachel for that project. Okay. Um, Around September or October of 1998. Um, I know I'm jumping dates around because there are big gaps in the timeline, but Caroline told Rachel that she may actually know someone who could get her into modeling work, um, like photography modeling. And this is important because going back a little bit, Rachel had been involved with ballet in Uh the mid nineties. She was, she loved dancing. Um, she was actually described as elfin figured um, so like the long limbs, long arms, long legs. Yeah. Um, she is a beautiful girl, like absolutely gorgeous. I'm looking up a picture of her right now. That won't spoil anything, right? No, but she, oh my God, she's so beautiful. Um, oh, elfin is like the perfect word. Yes. Yeah. And I think exactly what you are picturing when you picture an elfin ballet dancer, yep. like that is who she is. 100%. Um, so she had actually quit ballet uh, because of an overdisciplinary teacher. Oh. And that combined with some health issues she was having, she decided to leave dancing. Now, I don't know if her health issues were as a result of this disciplinary teacher or uh-huh. if they were completely unrelated and just compounding and that's what made her quit. Okay. Not a lot of information, but she did leave dancing for a little bit. Oh, Okay. She's and this was in 1997, I believe. So for a year, she stayed away from dancing. And as a result, she was just not very happy. She wasn't depressed. She just wasn't really happy. All right. Um, And in a conversation with her father, she ended up telling him, I know why I'm so miserable. It's because I'm not dancing. Oh, which is she's. 15 years old and saying that that just breaks my heart that's so sad when it's like you 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 have a passion but then like one person ruins it for you you know or or actually you let one person ruin it for you right but I think at the time she quit I think she was 13 and she was yeah 
Yeah. And when you have all I saw was over disciplinary teacher, mm-hmm. but I can just picture it in my head that no. this was like ballet teachers can be mean. Well, yeah. Well, they're supposed to be. Ballet is supposed to be a very disciplined, like, you know. Not when you're a kid, though. And I mean, I can't really speak. My BLA teacher was a con artist. Yeah. Well, I think it also depends. Like, you know how there's club sports? So this might have been like a like a higher intensity, not just like a neighborhood dance class. And actually that leads right. So she attended at the Dance Factory, which is located in Richmond, Victoria, Australia. Oh, and that's a school? It is a very good school. I actually looked them up. Um, Uh So their website now, they brag about having their graduates uh, perform on Broadway. Oh, wow. Perform worldwide. So Dance Factory students are very highly regarded in the dance industry. That is a factory. Dancers coming out. And when (laughs) I think about it, factory just makes me think of like, yeah, those teachers are probably very strict. Yeah, exactly. So in September of 1998, uh, she actually left mainstream academic school to perform to pursue dance school full time. Okay, which seems very interesting to me. She's 15 years old, which means she's probably in grade nine, I believe. Uh huh. And she left school. Like she doesn't go to regular school anymore. She goes to the dance factory full time. Morning to afternoon, same as like a normal. This was after her hiatus, her from. Yes. So after the year of being away. She then went to the dance. She went back. Yes. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, when she went back, she decided to pursue musical theater and contemporary dance instead of ballet because of that teacher. She was so afraid to go back to ballet. That's too bad. It is. It's really sad. So it was around this time that she went back to pursue dance full time that Caroline is saying, hey, I might know a photographer interested in you for some modeling work. Oh, so, of course, Rachel is like, man, this is great. I love this. So I talked about how good this dance school is. Rachel, in particular, was regarded as an extremely promising student. So. All of her teachers, all of her friends, anyone you talk to, all of them said she was going to be a star one day. Oh, wow. Which is so sweet. Yeah. Um, she had the looks. She had the talent. She had the drive. Um, she had a boyfriend. His name was Manny Carella, and he also attended the dance school. I believe he Aww. was one year older than her. Oh, that's neat. Which is really cute. I don't know why it I think that's cute. so cute. I think it's cute just because they're at the same school for a common interest, right? Dance or yeah. theater or whatever. And so they probably have a ton in common too. That's super cute. Yeah. So Rachel off stage, so when she was not performing, was actually very, very shy, especially with people she didn't know. So if she knew you, she trusted you. But if she didn't know you, she was very reserved, very shy. Um, and what a lot of people didn't know was that Rachel actually really struggled with academic schoolwork. So this change um, was really good for her for many reasons. But she was so socially loved that most people didn't really know her. Um, They saw her Uh as this beautiful, perfect dancer, but they didn't know her. Like they didn't know her inner struggles or like 
Okay. Okay. And I think we all know someone like this. Yeah. And I feel bad when I project this on other people because I, I don't like it when people see me as this like untouchable thing or like intimidating for any reason. And so I feel bad when I project that on other people. And I know I do it. Like, I don't mean to idolize people, but there's so many times where I look at someone and I'm like, God, you're so freaking perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is what a lot of people did with Rachel. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do that a lot, you know, So taking this into consideration, this whole view of Rachel as this perfect girl, it is theorized that around the time that Caroline was talking to Rachel about this modeling job and around the time she took her own photos of Rachel, Uh that this unhealthy obsession had begun. Oh. Oh, no. Um, So sometime during the summer holidays, and remember, this is Australia, and their their weather is opposite of ours in the Northern Hemisphere. So I think when we say the summer holidays, they're actually talking about like the Christmas time part of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Caroline ended up calling the barber's house, and Ashley Rose picks up the phone, and Caroline asks, hey, can I get your birthdays and your sister's birthdays? And she said it was for a school project. But I wonder why. Why would Which you need that? Which seems weird to me. But yeah, why would you need that information? Remember, this is her babysitter. This is someone she trusts. Yeah, she's, she's not older than her. It. Yeah. Ashley Rose gives her the birthdays. She's like, yeah, sure. Here's our birthdays. Okay. And very shortly after this, and this wasn't found out until many months later, but there is documentation that after this phone call... Caroline applied for a copy of Rachel's birth certificate. What? Which is weird. Uh, Beyond weird. And this kind of feeds into this narrative that Caroline had some kind of fixation on Rachel. Yeah, I would think so. That is very odd. I. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to think of like multiple reasons why someone would need that, though. Unless you're going to steal someone's identity. I don't know. Not super sure. Um, There are theories later, but they don't really make sense to me. Okay. But we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, I'm really Um, nervous. So fast forwarding a couple of months to February 28th, 1999. Caroline and Rachel talked on the phone that night twice uh, for about 15 to 20 minutes each phone call. And Caroline told Rachel, hey. I have this really cool one-time job for you to make $100, super easy. It's just for you to do a psychology study. Okay. Um, The only thing is that, you know, ethical standards, uh, this is a psychology thing. Technically, it's health. Neither of us can really disclose a whole lot before. Free to talk about it afterwards. But, like, before, please don't share this with anyone. Just we can't give details because this is confidential information. Which I guess makes sense if it's legit. Yeah. So Rachel is excited because, I mean, she's like, this is pretty damn cool. Yeah. So she says, yeah, sure. And they agree to meet the following day after school. And so quick reminder, Rachel is 15 at this point and Caroline is 19 at this point. So Monday, March 1st. Completely normal day for Rachel. Okay. 
Uh, her routine in the morning was that her father would drive her to a tram stop so that she could catch a train into the city to go to school. Okay. And he would always drop her off at 930 a.m. And every morning, she would go to her friend Kylie's house for breakfast. They would have oh, breakfast cute. together. See, this is so cute. <laughs> that is so cute. So they would have breakfast together, and then they would go to school together, which okay. is smart to me. Like, yeah. if you're going to be going to this school that's a specialized school in the middle of the city, get a friend to go with yeah. you. And they're so smart. Yeah. And have breakfast with that friend every morning yes. on your way to school. That is super cute. And that particular morning, I don't know if this was normal, but that morning, her boyfriend Manny and his brother Dominic were also at the friend's house for breakfast. Uh huh. So at 10.15, all four of them go to dance school together. And sometime during the day, Rachel mentions to a classmate that, hey, I have this special job tonight that I'm going to make a lot of money. And they kind of asked her for details, but she was like, you know, I'm not allowed to share details right now. It's with a friend that I've known for years. You guys don't know them. But like tomorrow, I will I will spill the tea. I'll give you yeah. everything tomorrow. Yeah. Sometime during the day while she was with her boyfriend, she also pointed out this pair of shoes that costed $100. I'm sure these were like special new dance shoes. And she mentioned to him, hey, you know how I've been looking at these? I'm going to be able to buy those tomorrow. She was excited. Oh, well, yeah. She's she's getting some money. She's already spending it in her head. Yeah. yeah. I I can, 15-year-old me, I would have spent that oh money my like gosh. 10 times you know, over. Exactly. You're excited. Yeah. So she mentioned that she was meeting up with an old friend that night and that she was going to be making, quote, a heap of money. Like, okay. She was just very – there's also this part of my brain that's like, oh, honey, don't tell people you have I money know. coming. Don't do that. But I, she's 15. She's yeah. excited. Yeah. So at 545, Rachel, Kylie, Manny, and Dominic all left school together. That was Their last class got out, and they were all walking down the road to go to the tram station. Okay. And Rachel kind of start saying goodbye and she's like you know actually I have different plans tonight I'm gonna go meet my dad at this other tram station I'll see you guys later and another classmate that was kind of nearby noticed she was going in a different direction and okay. if you haven't picked up on it at this point Rachel is very schedule oriented yeah so when she does something different people notice yeah and so this classmate goes, "Hey, where are you where are you going?" And Rachel goes, "Oh, I'm I'm actually meeting my dad at the other end down here." And this classmate offered to walk her. Oh, how so nice. that she didn't have to go alone. Oh, that that's the that school and dance community, it seems like they were really close, you know. Yes, like they a, sound very tight knit. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. But Rachel declined and she said, "No, it's fine. I got it. I'll go on my own." And typically, she would meet her dad at this specific tram station at 6.15 p.m. And she, important to note, she had not told her parents she would be late. Oh, and no. she didn't say that she was going anywhere else. Ugh, you always should tell your parents where you're going. So later, um, a witness actually came forward and said at 6.40 p.m., they saw Rachel with an older girl get on a bus together. Um, obviously, this was Caroline. Caroline, yeah. 
And so Caroline and Rachel had agreed to meet at a particular stop and they would go together to Caroline's apartment at 22 Trinian Street. And uh, Caroline lived in flat nine in this building. Okay. On the way, they actually ended up stopping to pick up pizza and Rachel purchased some alcohol. Why? Uh, not Rachel. God damn. Yeah. And gonna be like, Caroline. She? Okay. Why? Caroline purchased some alcohol. Later, Caroline would say that Rachel had zero interest in drinking the alcohol. Well, because she's 15. But I think also because she's a dedicated dancer and she seems like a very good kid. And she would not want to jeopardize her dance career in any way, including with alcohol. Which makes me mad at Caroline. Like, but okay, just I don't even want to know what's going to happen. Go. Um, so Caroline and Rachel get to Caroline's apartment. They sit, they eat some pizza and then Caroline says, okay, let's, um, we're done eating. Let's move on to the actual like psychology study. Um, and she starts talking her through a guided meditation to prepare for this. So she says, okay, I want you to sit down. I want to close your eyes and I want you to think happy and pleasant things. And so Rachel is complying. She's, she's sitting there with her eyes shut. She's with this girl who has served as her babysitter. They've grown up as close family friends for years. She's with a girl that she knows and trusts. And while she is there in a completely vulnerable state, thinking happy and pleasant things. Oh, God. Caroline wraps a phone cord around her neck and strangles her to death. Why? Um, it is theorized that Caroline had such an obsession with Rachel's perfection and who she was. And simultaneously, Caroline was the opposite of all of that. She saw herself as obese and ugly. Uh, there's this self-portrait that she drew of herself a few years before, like completely unprovoked. This was just her doing it because she was a kid that wanted to draw. Yeah. With all these horrible descriptors, she calls herself ugly, fat, pizza face, stupid. Oh, um, no. It is so sad. To Makes see. me sad for her, but still, why? Then why'd she go and do this? Obviously, girlfriend has some mental issues, but like, yeah, I don't so see. Police theorize that it was her jealousy of Rachel and the rage at the jealousy that led her to do this. I, it doesn't have to make sense to you and me. Yeah. But apparently some level of it made sense to her. Very sad. So now Rachel was not at the designated pickup location where her parents, where her dad was supposed to get her. She's always there at 615. Yeah. They reported her missing because this Rachel does not, not mean Not do this. Yeah. Yeah. So... They reported her missing. They mentioned the clothing she was wearing, which was a typical dancer's outfit. It was black pants, a black bra, a lighter colored, um, they called it a singlet top. I think it might be a unitard. Yeah. Um, with like a light blue sheer top over it. I can totally and, picture it. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I, mm -hmm. I'm actually picturing like a specific outfit that Natalie Portman wore in <laughs> Black Swan. <laughs> Funny enough. All right. <laughs> um, she also, they said that she also had her black dance bag with her. Okay. 
and she had a gold necklace with like a diamond stone with matching earrings and a blue topaz ring. And this detail was a little interesting to me. They said that she had a wallet with her with $13 in it. How, how did they know 13 bucks? I feel like they must have like given her money for the train tickets or something and just known that's how much she had. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. 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 Um, so from here on out, I am going to go through the timeline in chronological order. So as I'm saying things, this is the order that this happened. In. Okay. And I'm going to try not to get super bogged down in dates because the, it can get very like sluggish to go through. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to just kind of go through, ask questions if I'm not being clear enough, but I'm just kind of going to skim through this timeline. So that morning, March 1st, the -hmm. day that all of this had gone down, Caroline had actually called her boss to say that she wasn't feeling well. She called in sick. Personal opinion, I think she was preparing herself for that night. Yeah. March 2nd, at about 4 a.m., this is the night, March 1st in the evening is when Rachel went to Caroline's apartment. So this is 4 a.m., just a few hours later. Okay. A neighbor in flat six said that she was awakened because of some loud crying and sobbing um, and the sounds of what she thought was some kind of tantrum coming from flat nine, which was Caroline's flat. Okay. Unfortunately, we find out later, police don't know if this was Rachel or if this was Caroline, oh. because they don't know what time Rachel actually died. She died, and this was the night of the murder. Yes, okay. at 4 a.m. So can you imagine if that was Rachel? She would have been there for 10 hours at that point. Yeah. So 9 a.m. the next day, Caroline went to work. She called in the day before, but she shows up that day. Except she was notably like pale and quiet and her boss ended up actually driving her home an hour later because she was not feeling well. Mm-hmm. She called her dad twice, um, not sure, just to check in with him. Okay. But sometime during the day, her dad did go to her apartment to see her. Like, you're not feeling well. Let me come see how you're doing. Oh, and was Rachel already like in there and dead? He said that he didn't notice anything weird about Caroline. She's not feeling well, so obviously she's not off. But, like, nothing that was, like, my hair is prickling weird. Yeah. He did notice that her bedroom door was shut, which seemed it was it was enough for him to note it, but not, uh-huh. like, weird. So he leaves. Again, we find out later that Rachel's body was in the bedroom in the wardrobe. <gasps> And that Rachel had shut that door when her father came over so that he wouldn't go in there. Oh, no. Which is really sad. Yeah, that is really sad. So also on this day, Caroline gets a bug in her brain about some money she lent to a coworker. And she calls her coworker three times saying, and I'm adding my own narrative here, yeah. but she's like, Ayo, bitch, give me my money. <laughs> Why is she so concerned with money right now? She just killed um, somebody. She had a plan. Okay. And I'll tell you about the plan later. But it involved money. All right. Uh, She told her coworker, hey, 
I'm having some furniture from my house moved out to like a holiday house, like a vacation home my dad owns out in the country. And I need this money to pay the movers. So the coworker was unable to pay her the money that night. But the next morning, Caroline calls her two more times like, hey, give me my money. Yeah. So the coworker goes to Caroline's house and was like, here's $100. But apparently that wasn't good enough. Well, yeah, I bet yeah, that's exactly like, it. She's here, like, leave up. me alone, you yeah. crazy. But apparently $100 wasn't good enough. So she and Caroline actually drove together to an ATM where she pulled out another $100 and gave that to Caroline. And oh, my gosh. I guess that appeased her. I don't know. Well, it sounds like this other chick wanted to get her off her back and was like, fine, like, here, here's 100 yeah. Like, I'll give you more. Just relax. Yeah. So the next day, this would be Wednesday. Um, Rachel died on Monday and we're at Wednesday. Caroline called her boss early in the morning and left a voicemail saying, you know, I'm still not feeling good. I'm going to stay home today and sleep it off. Because I just killed somebody and I'm a psycho. And I need to recover. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Um, It was that day that Caroline moved Rachel's body. So Ooh, now I'm interested in how. She wrapped Rachel's body. I've seen rugs and I've seen blankets, but it was two pieces of cloth that came from Caroline's apartment. She put the bundle inside a large army bag and then she called herself a taxi. Oh, wow. Gosh, that must have been heavy. Well, I guess Rachel probably was really tiny. She looked pretty small. Yeah. Um, and also think about Rachel was older and larger so she yeah. probably handle the weight handle it yeah when she called the taxi she said hey i have this sculpture i have it wrapped up so i could protect it but i need to deliver this and so she put it in the taxi and it drove her out to Ooh. her father's home i can't imagine what it felt like to be that taxi driver when he found out later like, yeah later, yeah that sucks um so thursday caroline went to work and she worked a full day like normal Except she made some comments to a couple of coworkers about, hey, this friend of mine went missing, but, you know, she goes, she goes missing all the time. So like, whatever. So weird. And, you know, like, I always think about this after the fact, like these people who were around someone that obviously did something horrible. And after the fact, when they find out and then they like think back to the conversation that they had, like, yeah. Um, So sometime on Wednesday or Thursday. Rachel's wallet was found inside her locker at school, which is weird because yeah. Rachel would have taken it with her. Yeah. And there was only a dollar and 20 cents in it. Did they ever find out like what, what went on with that? How the lot, how there was a used tram ticket in it from Monday, but I get the feeling that this was not $12 worth of tickets. Well, so, and that also could have been maybe like there's, I'm sure just like in any situation, there's some bad people even at that school, you know, that could have like taken the opportunity knowing that she was missing to like go through her stuff and maybe take money. I don't know. But how did her wallet get back to school? Maybe she didn't take it with her. I don't know. I I get the feeling. And there's so much of this timeline that's so choppy because... Another spoiler, Caroline claims she can't remember a lot of what happened. Oh, how convenient. I I get the feeling that Caroline may have used some of that money for a tram ticket to take the stuff back to school. 
Really? But how, but that's ballsy of her to do that. I mean, a lot of this is ballsy. Yeah, I guess. And that's purely my speculation. I have no idea. Yeah. It was just weird. It was noteworthy that so much money was gone. Oh, that's definitely noteworthy. And the fact that it was still in her locker. Yeah. Okay. So over the weekend, Caroline ended up calling the Barber's family. I assume to express condolences or something. She was very close with them. Understandably, the family is dealing with a missing child. So a family friend is the one who is manning the phones and they took down Rachel's name and the phone number. Uh I don't think anything really ever came of this, but later on it was like one of those look at her. She's calling the family. kind. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think the family, anyone had she not been involved would have thought it would have been weird if she didn't call her seeing as how she was so close with the family and so close with Rachel. Well, Caroline's not really doing herself many favors because the next week, I think Caroline must have called into work for several days because a, uh, one of her coworkers calls and was like, hey, the police came in here looking for you today. They say you're connected with some missing person. Uh-oh. And Karen was like, Caroline is like, oh, yeah, that's remember that girl that I said went missing. Like I used to be her babysitter, but like, you know, she used to run away all the time. So whatever. Oh, Caroline. I just don't like this narrative she's spinning. Yeah. So that same day that the police had stopped by work, uh, Caroline went to the bank because she applied for a $10,000 car loan. (laughs) And she made sure to tell them, like, I need this money urgently. I need it. Yes, ma'am. We'll get get on it right away. (laughs) Uh, Well, the next day she called the bank three times. Oh, my God asking about the status of her loan and I could just I feel like I have taken these phone calls before where people are asking about their application status and I'm like I have nothing to update yeah. you on and I feel like Caroline has a lot of other things to worry about right now other than her car loan application status which obviously she's trying to get the car to go somewhere right but uh but still yeah so Caroline called in sick a couple more days and she always left. I I feel like she did this on purpose that she called early enough that she would leave messages for her supervisor, but never actually speak to her supervisor. And I feel like all of us have encountered this person that like they call you at two in the morning because they know you won't answer and they'll be like, Oh, (laughs) I'm sick. (laughs) I can't come in. Uh, I feel (laughs) ill. (laughs) Yeah. Um, March 11th, remember that witness that had seen Rachel and this older girl getting on the tram together? Yeah. She came forward to the police and they worked together to put together this computerized image. So not like a sketch artist, but like an actual computer image of the person that she saw. Okay. I could not find this photo and I wish that I could. Because the court documents, the judge makes the commentary that this computerized image looks like Caroline. Oh. Which props to the witness for being able to get such an accurate photo. Yeah, seriously. Which is crazy. Caroline, wanting her damn money, calls her coworker again. Uh-huh. <laughs> because she's like, hey. You still owe me $120. And you know, I was that coworker, I'd be like, I gave you some money. Like, let me like figure out how to get the rest. Yeah. Like, can we wait for a payday, please? Seriously. 
this time she said that she had a date that she needed to pay for. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't oh, know, man. But Friday, the police. So this is almost two weeks after the murder. Friday. Okay. Police try to go to her apartment. They knock on the door. No one answers. Caroline was out of the house. I don't know what she was doing. All I really saw was that she for sure was not there. Okay. Um, but the police ended up coming back at about 5 p.m. They had gotten keys from her landlord because they were determined to get inside this house. Yeah. Except the keys didn't work. Oh, surprise, surprise. They tried calling several times. There was no answer on the phone. And they were so determined to get in there that they called the fire brigade. And they're like, hey, you guys, help us get in. Did she change the locks? She had to have if the keys weren't working. Oh, my gosh. Which, by the way, you guys, you're not allowed to do. Yeah, especially Um, in an apartment. Yeah. I mean, you can, but you have to give a copy of the new key to your landlord. So, really, it's not – there's no point in changing your locks. Yeah. Idiot. Um. So the fire brigade was able to get them in through an open bedroom window. And Caroline was found lying at the foot of her bed unconscious. At this point, I don't care that she is. Well, I think it's worth noting that Caroline suffered from epilepsy. And there was some empty packets of her emergency epilepsy medication on the floor near her. The police think that them coming and knocking on the door and calling incited an epileptic episode in Caroline. Well, yeah, because she's done something horrible. And she knows exactly why they're there. Exactly. So um, police kind of glance around the apartment because they're they're in. They may as well look around. And they found some bags of clothing that were very clearly not Caroline's. Um, I did mention Caroline, and I don't understand this, she was called obese and i wouldn't call her obese uh, she was bigger I, I looked at pictures of her yeah and i wouldn't call her obese either i think she's just a bigger girl yeah and i wouldn't even say she was like insanely overweight she no. was a little bigger no she uh like uh, and I, I hate to say this but like big boned like just thicker like yeah. and not overweight she had she's, she had wider shoulders she yeah I think she was much taller than sturdy Rachel. i guess if you will you know yeah yeah um, but these bags of clothes were very clearly not her size, but they looked about the size that Rachel would wear. Yeah. I don't think they were Rachel's clothing. It was just odd for Caroline to have bags of clothing that were that much smaller than she was. Yeah. So Caroline was taken to the hospital and Detective Senior Constable Neil Patterson from the missing persons unit went with her. This makes sense to me because they want somebody with her so that the second she's able to talk, someone is there to talk to her. Yeah. Yeah. And at 9.52 p.m., Patterson was able to question Caroline about Rachel. And it was during this questioning that Caroline just flat out admitted that she had killed her. Oh, wow. She didn't even like stall with some lies. She just like came right out. She spent a week and a half stalling. I guess, but still. But yeah, she just kind of came out and say it. And one of the police officers came out and did an interview afterwards. And Uh he said it was chilling how cold she said this. Uh. Like she said, um, she said, yep, I I killed her. And the police officer said, are you sure? (laughs) Caroline, completely deadpan, just goes, 
yeah, I buried her. Oh, wow. And it was, I don't think it was like a snide, horrible comment, but it was just like fact. Yeah. It was like, it rained this morning. I buried her. That's so sad. It is really sad. So March 13th, police went to the vacation home that Rachel's father owned and they found Rachel's body in a shallow grave with the phone cord still around her neck. Oh, no. So she like essentially just killed her and then like stuffed her. She didn't do anything else. No. She just like killed her to kill her. And and once she was gone, she was gone. And That's awful. And I don't know if this is true or not, but if it is, it's very creepy to me that apparently, and this was only one source, but apparently this shallow grave was right next to a pet cat's grave on the Ugh. property. And for Eesh. some reason, that just feels really creepy to me. Yeah, and that feels creepy to me, too. That's kind of like, oh. Yeah. Um, so the next day, an autopsy was performed, and her cause of death was determined as ligature strangulation. Mm. And on, I thought this was just funny. This is like rub some salt in the wound. Uh, amusing to me that on the 16th, she's already like confessed to everything. The bank calls. It says, hey, we denied your application for a loan. I love how they called her too to let her know. <laughs> um, well, they included the reason, which I... I just want to be like, oh, yeah, props to the bank here. They said that Rachel did not have, not Rachel, goddamn, I keep doing that. Caroline did not have a driver's license. So in their opinion, it was reasonable to conclude that the money she wanted was not for the purchase of a car. So they denied it. So I just want to be like, yes, good job, Bank of Melbourne. Oh, my gosh. So they continue to search Caroline's apartment and they uncovered some really weird journals that Caroline had been keeping. And supposedly, again, I only saw this in one place and it was not in the court documents. So this okay. might be some news station wanting to make a, a bigger story. But apparently the title on the journal was, quote, how to change in nine weeks. Oh, that okay. She's a horrible person, but that makes me sad. It does make me really sad too. In this journal, it had a lot of detailed plans about how she was going to kill Rachel and dispose of the body. I say detailed. Uh, some of it was detailed. Some of it was not. None of it was successful, obviously. Yeah. There were also a lot of notes about a woman named Jem Southall. Who's Jem Southall? This was a new identity that Caroline was curating for her to take over after the murder. Okay, again, I do not like her because of what she did, but man, this is very sad. Like it just is very her sad. her kind of her a, mental state yeah a glimpse into that and hearing all of that like it doesn't make what she did okay no, but someone needed to give that girl a hug and like yes. help her that's yeah. awful in this journal there were also many notes obsessive notes about rachel 
including personality characteristics and physical appearance. So one of the notes was, um, uh, quote, strikingly attractive dancer's body, very clear pale skin, hypnotic green eyes, dyed hair, lots of different colors. Which seems like weird comments to be making about the girl that you used to babysit. Yeah. She also, I mean, there were plans in there and in the plans, it is clear that the pizza that they shared was drugged in some way. Oh, wow. Um, Her notes say lace with drowsy powder. So there must have been some kind of maybe a crushed up sleeping pill or something. Obviously to make Rachel easier to subdue. Yeah, that's that's so sad. There were also notes about arranging a bank loan, uh, getting a moving van, disguising her own hair, and thoroughly cleaning and steam cleaning her house. So, like, there there are detailed notes in here, and then there's some not-so-detailed stuff in here. It's weird. She had a plan. Uh, Maybe not a good one, but she had no, one. No, but, like, I mean, yeah, she had one. Yeah. So, ultimately, Caroline did plead guilty to murder. So during the sentencing hearing, the judge went through a ton of information and we kind of got more in this. And that's where I got a lot of the information that I used. All right. Um, The one of the psychologists that was treating Caroline made some notes that after her initial arrest, she started to self-harm and she ended up actually cutting her wrists and forearms several times. Oh, I mean, not all, but, you know, I mean, I'm I, just I, sad for her. I feel she needs bad. She needs help. She needs help. It does not make what she did okay. No. And it doesn't even make me understand. I will never understand how this made sense to her. Yeah. I do feel very badly for this broken person. Yeah. Yeah. I hope she got the help she needed, too. And, you know. Well, interestingly enough, it sounds like Buddhism saved her. What? She there was a Buddhist monk that would visit in the prison, uh-huh. and apparently, this like embracing Buddhism really helped Caroline. Okay, how? Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure. It gave her maybe it gave her purpose. It gave her some sense of peace. I'm not sure, but oh. whatever it is, the psychologist noted like, "Hey, this seems to have really helped her." Too bad she didn't find all of that earlier. Well, okay, so it's really sad. The psychologist mentioned that um, he said she acclimated easily, almost alarmingly easily. Like he was concerned at how easily she acclimated to prison. She called this is so sad. She would refer to her cell as her home. Oh, wow. So in those she she's not sentenced yet she's detained so she hasn't had a court hearing or anything and they're evaluating her for psychological issues and at some points i mean understandably i think anybody who's been through therapy has had one of these sessions where you're like you're so upset you just need to stop yeah she would say, like get upset and say i need to go home but she didn't mean her apartment oh. she meant her cell Oh, wow. That is so sad that she acclimated to that, too. Almost like that made her feel safe. And, ugh. 
And a quote from the psychologist says, uh, quote, there is a sad desperation in the way she has adapted. Ugh. I mean, I we're going to say it a million more times, but I feel bad for her, but it doesn't excuse her. No, I wish we knew more about her family and if any of them had any like, like if she exhibited any odd behavior prior to this that, you know, like. Well, so it came out later that um, her home life may have contributed. Okay. So her mother did have some kind of disorder. Okay. Um, I didn't really see what it was. There weren't really specifics, but apparently it was especially bad when Caroline was, um, while she was pregnant with Caroline and after she had given birth. Okay. So I don't know if maybe she was on some kind of drugs to mitigate this that affected the baby because those can. Yeah. Um, but I also know that her mother wasn't exactly the fondest um, this is very biased because this is coming from Caroline. Caroline described that her mother preferred her other sisters over her. Aww. And she described her father as constantly angry. She mentioned she didn't really have very many friends. Uh, just a lot of things about a, like you said, she needed a hug. I don't yeah. think she got very many hugs growing up. Well, that's just really sad. So she was just kind of like constantly I, put down. Yeah. Um she she even said at one point, you know, I I saw myself as the bad kid and the kid who always messed up. So then I started doing bad things on purpose cuz that's what they expected of me. Mhm. So Caroline was diagnosed with a deeply entrenched personality disorder. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Didn't see what it was, but that's what the court documents referred to it as. And there was actually a moment during the, the murder where Caroline almost didn't kill Rachel. So while the psychologist was talking to her and evaluating her, she said this. She said, just for a moment, the veil lifted and I didn't want to do it. But something said that I was in so much trouble now I had to. And it was though the veil had dropped again. That is so sad. And it was probably because she probably felt like she was in trouble at that point, too, because of the poison, I guess, and the pizza. Right. And yeah, I don't think it was poison. I think it was it had to have been like sleep to make her easier. Okay. To, it was laced. Yes. But, you know, to me and again, this is going to make me sound weird. If I were Caroline, all of that could be explained away had I stopped, right? And then, like, let's say she ate the pizza and it was laced with some sleeping pills and then she felt drowsy. Like, I that could have been explained away easily. Oh, you had a hard day at dance school. Yeah. You started napping. I just let you sleep. Yeah. Or you're not feeling well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Caroline has reiterated several times that she does not remember all of the events. It's hazy. Yeah. Well, she probably she probably blocked it out because I mean she probably had some kind of episode and I have to note that the judge has actually said that he believes her when she says that she can't remember. You know what? I believe her too and and maybe that that's like part of the the epilepsy has something to do with that too, you know. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, um, this is so sad. The psychologist mentioned that 
Caroline's writings about Rachel displayed an abnormal and obsessional interest in Rachel. The judge said in the uh, sentencing hearing, he said, there is a total absence of any suggestion or impression that you ever gave a thought to the individuality or the humanity of your victim or any sense of the significance of taking a life. You appear to have been totally self-absorbed, concerned only with your own life situation, feelings, and desires. And I totally agree. I totally agree, too. I'm just super torn because obviously this girl needed help. and She wasn't getting it. She wasn't because getting it. on the surface, they talked to like her coworkers and stuff. And everyone was like, we never realized that anything was weird about her. She seemed normal. And so like going back to... Rachel appeared to be this perfect girl. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like Caroline saw her as like a doll, like a Barbie yeah. doll. She's this perfect Barbie doll and but not did a human. She, did she kill her because she was so perfect? And she, she was jealous. Yeah. Because Rachel is this perfect thing and Caroline is not. Caroline's a pizza face and she's ugly and she's dumb and Rachel's perfect and I hate her because she's perfect. So I'm going to kill her and I'm going to remake myself into this Gem Southall who is going to be a version of Rachel. I wonder what she thought that would accomplish though. I don't think that she had the forethought to make that connection. Yeah. Clearly. I think that this personality disorder made it so that it was just the immediate sense of this is what I see this is what I feel well now she's a Buddhist so everything's okay I don't know if she's like totally a Buddhist but I think that the Buddhism teachings helped her well good but like a little too late yeah and her parents gave their victim impact statements obviously and they talked about Rachel wasn't perfect like, you saw her as perfect and you didn't even know her. She struggled yeah. with her happiness. She struggled with loving ballet and being too afraid to dance because of mm. this teacher she had. She struggled with her academic studies. She struggled all the time, but you don't care about that. Yeah, you only saw what you wanted to see. Yep. Two forensic psychologists and a forensic psychiatrist evaluated Rachel. They were try- essentially they were trying to evaluate if she was of sound mind and to give that information to the judge for consideration in the sentencing. Mm-hmm. These three professionals got almost nothing out of Rachel. Wow. Out of Caroline. The only thing they could really conclude was that Caroline had such a deeply embedded personality disorder that Mm -hmm. in their opinion anyone who'd become the unfortunate subject of her fixation would be in very real danger rachel was not going to be the first uh rachel was the first but she would not be the last and caroline if she was obsessed with you you were gonna die yeah yeah in the end the judge kind of spelled out in the sentencing hearing that hey We need to give a sentence that one is going to serve justice to you for what you did. I want to make sure that this is not. It's not a light sentence because you need to you need to be punished. And she showed no remorse through this whole thing, by the way. Caroline has never shown any remorse for this. And the judge said, uh, because of that, I want to give you a stricter punishment. But also. 
I want a punishment that is going to deter others from doing something similar to this too. Yeah. Caroline was sentenced to serve 20 years with a non-parole period of 14 and a half years, which doesn't really seem like that enough. That doesn't seem like enough at all, especially when they said all that stuff about her, like how dangerous she essentially is. Right. Um, and it, it kind of comes up a comment that Rachel's mother makes later kind of brings that up. Um, so Caroline was eligible for parole in August of 2013. But Rachel's parents made this big public outcry that they didn't think she was ready to be released and they wanted her to stay in. I yeah, agree. totally agree. Despite that, Rachel's mother actually gave an interview that said that she had forgiven Caroline. Really? The quote from the article said, quote, if we continued to hate her, we would be angry and bitter and I can't do that to my own children. Because remember, she still has yeah, two other daughters. Yeah, she has two other daughters, yeah. Which is so sad to me. Yeah. Um, so while she was in prison, Caroline actually started a long-term relationship with a convicted armed robber named Annette Chubbs Taylor. Oh, excuse me? Annette Chubbs, Chubbs Taylor. Um, uh, Annette, was, Annette was released from prison before Caroline was. Uh-huh. But they continued their relationship. Oh, well, wow. Okay. The plan here was for Caroline to go live with Chubbs, with Chubbs. when she was released from prison. It'll which be... sounds like, why would you let somebody being released from prison go live with another prior another, convicted? I know. I know. I'm, I'm curious as to what Chubbs did to end up there. But, you know, Jem and Chubbs forever. That's, no, uh... I. she was a convicted armed robber. Oh, can, you said that a convicted armed robber. Yeah, that's yeah, that, yeah that's not like, a good combo. I, I do not want an armed robber to be living with Caroline. I don't think you're your. Uh, I don't think that's a good match. <laughs> yeah, especially that Caroline would be a parolee, and in the United States, parolees are not allowed to contact other felons. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. So, it just seems weird to me. Um. Caroline was released on parole in January 2015. She was? That's insane. So she was originally sentenced to 20 years, which seems really short to me. Mm-hmm. And she only served 15. That's crazy. And this is really sad that, remember Rachel's boyfriend, Manny? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about Manny. The thought of Caroline being released gave him severe anxiety attacks. Oh, that's really sad. Really sad. Ugh. And Rachel's mother is a better woman than I will ever be because when Caroline was released, she came out and gave a public statement that was like, Caroline deserves to live a life free from people heckling her. Leave her alone. Oh. She she said, you know, I would prefer that she had served more of her time. Yeah. They decided she was ready to be released. So nobody bother her. Leave her alone. Um, she also said, and this is, this is really, I, I don't know why this quote seems so sad to me. But her mother also said, I don't think she's dangerous to us, but I don't want her to be dangerous to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. 
And she also said, and this is what I, I mentioned earlier, she said Caroline should be thankful she lives in a nation where she could resume her life outside of prison. Oh. Basically saying, like, you know, you know, if you yeah. lived in a different country, this would be you would probably not be released. Well, I hope that now that she's released, though, which I don't agree with, that she is getting the proper help, though. I hope. And, you know, I didn't see anything about what she's doing now. Okay. Rachel's father and mother said that they do not want to hear from her. They don't want to hear from I her. They don't want to be contacted. Yeah, same. Because Caroline, through her confession and through being sentenced and through serving her sentence, has never shown remorse for what she did. So I want to know how she got out on parole if she never showed remorse. Yeah, because isn't that a, a condition of your parole or prior, like, or what do you call I it? I don't think it's a condition. Not but a I condition, but... I think it's a huge consideration. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know how she proved she was ready to get out like that. I would love to know. Um, And her parents said that, and we've heard this so many times from the parents of victims, but they said that as far as Rachel is concerned, justice will never be served because her life was taken and you can't get justice for that. No, you can't. That's really sad. So um, this story was turned into an Australian movie in 2009. It was called In Her Skin. Oh, I think I heard of that. It has Miranda Otto in it, and I really love Miranda Otto. Yeah. Um, It also had Guy Pearce and Sam Neill. I'm going to have to look that up after this, but I think I heard of that. Yeah, I kind of want to see it. I didn't try and find it before, but now that we've recorded the episode, I I think I can look at it now. Yeah being biased for the episode yeah yeah. um so now i wanted to share with you how this came up in current social media news okay at the beginning of november so just a few weeks ago um there was a a morning talk radio show host um i think most people in the united states know like brook and jubal in the morning because Uh Uh, Jubal is everywhere, I swear. Okay. Um, but it was something very similar to that in Australia. Okay. And so they were doing their morning chatter, like between the songs kind of thing. And this, um, this host mentioned that she and her husband had had a fight or something like that. And so she had gone and turned on a podcast Uh and she said it was a true crime podcast. And she made the joke that I think I have seen a lot of people make that, Oh, I must be a psychopath because I listened to my, my and I know we've said that jokingly that man, there must be something wrong with us because this is what we choose to do in our free time. She played a clip of the show during the morning radio show and they were laughing about it and basically making a joke about it. And Manny heard it and Rachel's parents heard it. And they, Manny in particular, oh man, his tweets, he was furious he was like, this was a woman's life that was taken from her. You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. This sh- this host came out later and said, I'm so sorry. I thought it was a fake story and I thought it was not real. Like, really? You're oh listening to a true crime podcast and you Idiot. thought the story wasn't real. Yeah, that's Don't ridiculous. even come at me with that bullshit. Yeah. So apparently the host did have a private conversation um, like off air with the with Rachel's mother and apologized. And apparently everything is good now. 
Um, I think it was still incredibly insensitive for like, okay, talk about your interest in true crime. I think that all of us recognize that there's something strange about us that we find this morbid stuff interesting. Yeah. Don't play a clip of it. One, because by the way, that's copyright infringement to play yeah. it on a radio show. Yeah. Um, but also don't play these horrible details for everyone to listen to. Exactly. And then, and then make jokes about it. Like this, this literally is this is people's lives. Yeah. So seriously. I know that we sit here and we talk about it and we do this so that we can tell the stories of these people who deserve to have their stories told and known. Yeah. I don't think we sit here to do it because we think it's funny. I no. mean, well, I mean, we laugh, we, we laugh and we have chit chat. I, I mean, you have to keep it light, but yeah, it's never against it's never a joke like we take these very seriously yeah um and the jokes we tell and the the commentary sprinkled in is because we can't be all heavy all the time or i'm gonna pull my hair out and i have a lot of hair so that's gonna take a while um you have a lot of hair too but Uh, it's it's super thin so it wouldn't take that long i think uh (laughs) mine would be gone before yours (laughs) but yeah i just i I hope that that radio host um, learned her lesson. I hope so, too. And I I do not believe that she thought it was fake. Yeah, no, no there's no way. There's no way. But um, that is the very sad story of the murder of Rachel Barber. And it's just heartbreaking because she literally had everything ahead of her. I know. That is so sad. And it's sad on both sides because of Rachel, just a life taken too soon. And just uh, she obviously had, you know, like a lot of people loved her. And the fact that her boyfriend is still so traumatized by all of this. I didn't even think about him until you brought him up again. That just speaks volumes to you know, who she was and their relationship. And then, and then it's sad because of Caroline. Like, I feel like she was kind of like flew under the radar. Nobody really noticed her and had, and she very obviously really needed help. Yeah. And she was so, and again, this is all coming from her. So we don't know how biased this is, but this was her reality. Whether this mm-hmm. is completely true or not, her reality was that no one cared about her and yeah. everyone expected her to fail. Yeah. How 19 years yeah. of living with that. Um, yeah, I don't know what really that would sad. do to anyone. So, Well, we know what it, it could do, obviously, especially if you're already predisposed to, you know, she's has something that was obviously already wrong, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's all very sad. There was, I don't think there was really justice served here. No. Um, I really hope that she got the rehabilitation that she needed and that her mental health is doing better so she can be a productive member of society and not a danger. Yes. About the most anybody can really hope in these situations. Yeah. So. Well, that definitely wasn't uplifting, but the quote it's in the beginning said it all. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so um, I shared that with all of you. You yeah. can take it from me. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> You're welcome for that. <laughs> and, um, you know, we will see all of you next week. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. 
Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.